Good morning, church. Happy Easter to you. He is risen. And when I say that, you can say, He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Now, for most of us, the story that we're going to cover today is extremely familiar. So if you were born in the South or raised in the South, you're familiar with the story of Christ coming from death to life. But we're going to walk through the narrative in Luke chapter 24. So that's where we're going to be in just a moment. If you'll go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 24, that's where we're going to read about Jesus Christ coming back from the grave. And long before we ever came to know this story by heart and come familiar with this story, what I want to remind you is that Christ has been familiar with you, that God knows who you are, whether or not you know who he is in this story. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He's known your parents. He's known the epoch of time that we would be born in so that you would be here today. It's not by chance that you're in this room today. The breath in your lungs, the cells in your body, God is holding it together by the word of his power. And so today, as we think about this story that might feel somewhat familiar to us, I want to remind you that God is familiar with you. He knows you. He knows you from afar. And he's seen you. He sees us today. And no matter whether you believe the, tempty, the, room, the tomb is empty or not, it is. And Christ knows your heart. And if you haven't been thinking about the events leading up to Christ's resurrection, I want to give us a recap. This is where we were last week. And just a recap of what happened this last week of Jesus's life leading up to his resurrection. First, he comes into the city with people hailing him as the king, raising palm branches and saying, Hosanna. And then he walks into the temple and he cleanses it and says, this should be a house of prayer. This is my father's house. He continues to teach his disciples. He shares a last meal with them. He prays in the garden. He's betrayed by his disciple. He's denied by one of his closest friends. And then Jesus suffered the most heinous crime of all time. He suffers in our place for sins. The only innocent man who's ever been killed, Jesus Christ, hangs on the cross in our place for our sins. And after he suffered, he's placed into a tomb. And while he's in that tomb, all of his disciples and all those who had followed him are fleeing for their own safety. They're running for their lives. And so this day of Sabbath before this, they've been hiding. They've been in hiding, waiting Wondering, what do we even do now? The people who've looked for Christ are looking for us. And as they waited, something miraculous happened. They're preparing to go and prepare his, his body with spices. And then early on the third day, the first day of the week, some of his friends show up. Now, what we're about to uncover in this story, like I said, it's likely not new news for us. And for some of us, even, we even believe it. We believe this is true. That's the reason we've come to this place. It's not just because of culture. It's not because mama told me to. Some of you actually believe that Jesus Christ is no longer dead, but he's alive. And one of my prayers for us is that this central truth to the Christian faith would become real and alive to us again, that it would capture us, that it would amaze us again, because that's exactly what it is. It is amazing that Jesus is alive. It's an amazing truth claim. 
And you cannot have Christianity without it. This isn't one of those take it or leave it kind of things from the Bible. This is the central truth of what Christ has claimed in his word, that he rose from the grave. And so maybe you come into this room a little bit skeptical, right? You're wondering, I don't even know how these people can believe that it's true. Maybe you did come here not believing. You're you're skeptical because in the center of our story is a story about a man who came from death to life. Maybe you were skeptical that God spoke everything into existence and creation. And you're wondering, how can they get to this place where they believe these things? Maybe you're wondering how we could believe a Bible that talks about a guy named Jonah who was swallowed by a whale. But all of these stories, as important as they are, none are more central to our faith than the resurrection of Christ. And so if you're skeptical today, let me tell you something, you are in good company. The people who witnessed Christ risen from the grave, it says that they doubted, they were skeptical too. The people closest to him who were laying their very eyes on him were wondering, how can this be true? And so if you're skeptical, welcome. You're in good company. And if you're familiar and you already believe this, one of my prayers for you today is that for those of us who do believe in this room, that we'd be captivated again, that this wonder of the resurrection would captivate our attention and our imagination again, and that God would call us to this place of reverence and awe And that is impossible to do. It can't come by the clarity of this proclamation. It can't come because the the notes that we play and the songs that we sing, it, it has to come by the Holy Spirit. Eugene Peterson put it this way, it is not easy, it is not easy to convey a sense of wonder, let alone resurrection wonder to another. It is the very nature of wonder to catch us off guard, to circumvent expectations and assumptions Wonder can't be packaged and it can't be worked up. It requires some sense of being there and some sense of engagement. And so my prayer for us is that the imagination that God's given you today, the reason that God has given you today, the ability to remember these stories anew today, that God would use those things that he's given you and that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he would wake us up once again to this fresh reality that he is not dead and that when we sing to him, we're not just singing about him. He stands among us, listening to us cry out, he is worthy today. He's not far from these cries. And so would you join me in praying this Because in just a moment, we're going to walk through this story and we're going to remember once again the reality of the resurrection and we're going to consider how we might respond to this reality. So pray with me. This is God's word. As we listen to it, pray that God would wake us up to it. That he would show us anew the reality of his nearness and his life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. We believe that it's authoritative and as we come before it, you can use this word, this description of what you've done and who you are to wake us up. It's not in the proclaiming, but through this proclamation, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work, that it would shake off the sleep and slumber of our souls, that you would wake us up to the greatest reality that we could come to today, the fact that you are alive and that you're not far from us and that you're near to us. You stand among us. Your Holy Spirit abides in us. And so today, as we think on these things, help our imaginations, as weak as they are, to go back to that place, to be captivated again, to wonder in amazement, to be perplexed with this reality that you not only died, but you rose again to new life. And you've given that to all who believe as a promise. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's read God's word together. 
Uh, Starting in verse 1 of chapter 24, it says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, the first thing that we're going to see in this passage is reality number one. There's an empty tomb that they found that day. That's the, before he presented himself alive to them, he first presented himself with his disciples with this evidence. These ladies came there and they found an empty tomb. Look at first four. How did they respond? While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood among them in dazzling apparel. And in other words, they were perplexed. They were surprised by this reality. They were as surprised that if, as if you would have walked out this morning, taking your keys in your hand and ready to get in your car, your car was not there. Now, if that happened to you and you're thinking, where's my car? You begin wondering through the solutions that would answer this great problem, okay? They're perplexed. And as they were wondering all the potential solutions to this problem that the tomb is empty, suddenly there's two dazzling men with dazzling apparel in front of them. And their perplexed nature moves from being perplexed to bowing in reverence and in awe. Verse five, look at this. And as they were frightened, and bowed their faces to the ground. They brought themselves low. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why'd you come here to find a living man? You came to a graveyard expecting someone who's alive. A few observations about this first reality before we move on. First, they are perplexed. They're surprised by it. Second, these men are in dazzling apparel. So every good Southern mom, you can use this as your proof text for how you dressed your kids today. If the first people who announced it were dressed in dazzling apparel, so must you, my children. <laughs> but they move from, from wonder and amazement to reverence and awe, and it moves quickly. They go from listing all the potential answers to this question to bowing themselves before them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And then they answer the question that they've asked in verse 6. He is not here, but has risen. (laughs) Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified on the third day rise. Remember how he told you this would happen. And then what they do in response to him prompting them to remember? And they remembered his words. Isn't it funny how often we forget the words of Jesus? Like even the most important words of Jesus? You would think that this this important reality would be something they were tucking away for later. He had told them, look, I'm going to go away for a little while, but just a little while, I'm going to come back. You're not going to see me. You can't see me. Then you're going to see me. But suddenly, they all have to have this truth reminded to them again. The disciples too. All of them have to be reminded, I told you this. Jesus is going to show up and say, I told you guys this was going to happen. And suddenly, these women remember what they had been told. Verse 9, in returning from the tomb, they did what all good southern women do with good information. They go tell somebody. They got to tell somebody. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And how did they respond? Look at verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. How could they believe them? How could this impossible reality be true? Verse 12, but Peter... He rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen clothes 
by themselves. In other words, Jesus wasn't in them. And he went home marveling at what had happened. A few observations. The first one is this. The reality of the resurrection begins with this. There's an empty tomb. They come expecting, fully expecting that a dead body would be there. They had prepared spices. They were not anticipating that they would have no use for those spices. So they show up. Indeed, he was dead. That's the first thing. Look, in order for us to understand how important the empty tomb is, we first have to understand that these people had seen him die. They had watched his head bow as he cried out, it is finished. They had taken his dead body off of the cross. They were close enough to recognize that this man was dead. His heart was not beating. His lungs were not filling with air. He had died. Jesus did not swoon. He did not sleep. He was not concussed. He was not in a coma. These people were close enough to know that it actually was death. And they wrapped him in grave clothes and laid him into a tomb. Not only was he already dead, he also was secured. There was two things that they had put there. A huge stone rolled in front of the grave, and then a Roman guard was set up to guard it so that no one would come and take his body. These guards somehow have disappeared. And so today, this Easter morning, I wonder, have you pondered or remembered what Christ had foretold? That he would go away for a little while, but he would come back. Because before we can even experience him as alive, we have to understand that he died in our place for our sins. He suffered for us. He took the penalty that we deserved. He took all of it. He absorbed God's wrath and he declared everyone who would believe in him free at last from the consequences of sin. And today, this Easter morning, before we move on, have you recognized the reality that he was gone when they showed up there? Have you paused and wondered how they might have been surprised to find his body gone, the, the grave clothes laying there in the tomb? He's gone. And I wonder this question this morning as they asked those ladies, why do you look for the living among the dead? So many places we could look for life. So many places. And these men remind us, why are you looking for it? Will, it will not be found. And Luke is writing this account of the resurrection. And alongside of this, he has a different book called Acts that you find in the New Testament. And in the first chapter of Acts, he summarizes what he writes about in this portion of Luke. He says it in this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Not only did they find his empty tomb Jesus presented himself, look at this, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So in other words, not only did they see the evidence that he wasn't there, they saw the evidence that he was there. And how I have prayed for you that he would present himself alive to us today, that he would present himself as real, breathing, alive among us, Second reality of the resurrection is this, that Jesus presents himself alive. Let's look back at chapter 24, verse 36. It says this. So they're discussing these things, and as they're talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Again, you see that they're surprised by this. They were not anticipating it. Every account shows throughout the gospel that they are stunned. This was not what they were expecting. 
Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? In other words, everyone who's seeing it face to face, they're seeing Jesus in the flesh. They're watching him eat. They're watching him breathe. They're looking at his wounds. There's doubts arising in their hearts. They're saying, what is happening here? He says, why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself, verse 39, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. In other words, I'm here in the flesh. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they were still disbelieved for joy, so there was a different kind of disbelief at this point. (laughs) They're like, this is unbelievable. They're full of joy. And while they're marveling and full of joy, he says, listen, y'all got any bite to eat? Y'all got anything for me to eat because I'm getting hungry? The first sign that somebody's doing okay, am I right? First sign that they are doing all right is their appetite has returned. Every mama knows, right? That's how you know it's going to be okay. Suddenly, Jesus is telling his disciples, you guys got anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of boiled fish, broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. He's taking their doubt and turning it into joy. He's taking all their skepticism and saying, see, look at me. Here's the wounds. Look at my appetite. Look at me eating. Watch me breathing and alive. All these ways he presented himself to them as alive. And in it, in their belief and their skepticism, it's all mixed with this joy where they're thinking that the most horrible thing that they've ever witnessed is becoming untrue. And even in that, how could they possibly understand it, right? How can you understand it? I mean, they had seen animals die. They had seen people die. They had witnessed him raise someone from the grave, but how could they wrap their minds around it? Which leads us to the next reality of the resurrection. Jesus had to give them something. He had to open their eyes to see it. And I would say for everyone in this room that still, you tarry in this skepticism and it's kind of mixed with joy, but it's more skepticism than joy. Here's what I'd tell you. Jesus has to open your eyes to see something. Look at verse 44. He begins to explain it to them. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he's explaining the scriptures, verse 45. And then he did something. He did something that's a prerequisite for anyone who comes to real faith and repentance. He did something for them that they could not do for themselves. He opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And the repentance And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So he begins to unfold this understanding to them. And he explains something to them. Look at verse 47. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Few things. As I've already said, he opened their minds. He explained God's word. He showed them how all of God's word had been leading to this one monumental, epic moment in time where Christ would indeed suffer, but he would also rise again from the grave. 
He begins to unfold all of the things that they had studied and heard about for years and years and years. They had heard Moses taught. They'd heard the Psalms explained. They'd heard the prophecies of old. And suddenly he's saying, hey, guys, all those things we've been learning about, it was all about me. Every single one of them. All of them were pointing to me. And you see this throughout this moment, these 40 days where he begins to unfold to everyone who would fear to him. This is all the scriptures. This is what they meant. And he tells them the gospel for the first time. Now, he had been sharing the gospel of the kingdom coming on earth throughout all of his earthly ministry. They're walking around with him, learning about him. And suddenly he's like, look, this is what it means that you can be forgiven of sins. For the first time, he explained why he had to die and why he had risen from the grave. And he gives them something they could not see on their own. And not only does he open their eyes to it, he begins to tell them why they would know it. Look at verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Now, it may seem like he's saying you've just seen something, okay? But throughout Acts... And throughout the remainder of the New Testament, what we find out is he's changing their purpose and their identity. Everything that they would understand about themselves from this point forward would be defined not by what they had done, but by what they had seen Jesus do. They became something. They became witnesses of a specific power. And he promised that they would become witnesses from Jerusalem, throughout all the world, de declaring that Christ offers forgiveness for sins, all the ways that you've been guilty. Now there's a resolution for that. There's a solution for the ways to be made right with God. If you feel like you're not right with God, here's what I want you to know today. If you feel like maybe there's something between you and God, Christ came so that that gap could be reconciled, so that you could be reconciled to God. And he's given his disciples this message. Look, this is the message of the gospel that Christ suffered in our place for sins so that you might not suffer, so that we could go free, so that we might experience the forgiveness of sins. And so they became witnesses of that. And then not only did he give them that purpose, but he promises to fill them with power. He says, stay in this city until you're clothed with power from on high. Two things in the reality of resurrection. He gives every person who hears it and believes it both purpose and power. Now from that story, he's giving us this opportunity to experience the greatest purpose that you were made for, both to enjoy God and to declare him enjoyable to the rest of the world, to declare that, that people can be made right. What I'm doing here declaring the gospel today, it is an invitation not only to receive this message, but to become messengers of this message. Jesus Christ is telling his disciples, you've witnessed something that you will never be the same and the whole world will never be the same because of what you're seeing today. You are becoming witnesses of something that's the most powerful reality in the universe. And then he promises them that they will not only have this purpose, but if they wait, if they wait for it, God will go with them, that the Holy Spirit would be given to them, that he would come on them with power. And so whatever this purpose called them to, if they were called to martyrdom or death or prison, that God would cause them this great power to endure whatever it would cost them. So God brings them from death to life in their awareness of who he is. He shows them that he's been brought from death to life. Now, that's the story. That's the story of Easter. That's why we gathered today, okay? And if that was it, that would be enough. 
It is enough that Jesus Christ has suffered for our sins. He died in our place and he, he lives today. He's risen from the grave and he lives to save all who would believe. But that's not the end of the story because in God's word, there's several ways that we might respond to this really great news of the gospel. That's the story that every Christian believes. But we do not all respond in the same way. And so I want to ask a question before I go into these responses to this reality. That's the reality of it. How do we respond to it? And the first thing is this, do we even believe it? Jesus asked that question of a lady, okay? There's a lady, there were two ladies that had a brother named Lazarus and he died and they had been asking Jesus to come and heal him. And so they're grieving. Jesus shows up and they're grieving. They're like, why didn't you show up earlier? You could have saved our brother. And they're crying. And right before Jesus raises their brother, Lazarus, from the grave, he asks and declares who he is, and he asks one of his sisters, do you believe that this is true? Look at this in verse 25 of John chapter 11. Jesus declares to this woman who he is. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So, real quick, resurrection isn't just something that Jesus did. It was how he identified himself. It was how he declared himself to be. So if you want to know Jesus, you have to understand who he says that he is. And he says to us today and to her that day, I am this. I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, I am the power over the grave. That's who I am. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then he gives a promise. If you believe that this is true, the power of who I am isn't just mine, it's yours. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her this question, do you believe this? And I ask you this question today, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is who Jesus is? That he's the resurrection and the life. Because there's several ways that we might respond to Jesus. And I want to walk through three ways that I think people respond. And I think specifically in our culture, in our context, how might we respond? The first way is those who doubt. And then we're going to consider what it means to believe. And then we're going to consider what it means to believe and be changed by it. Because I think what God wants is not just for us to ascend to this is true. He wants us to be changed by this truth. And so, the first response, those who doubt. Now, if you're a guest here, I'm so glad that you're here. Listen, I hope that you'll come back, okay? <laughs> I hope that you find this message compelling. But if you got dragged here by a relative, I'm still glad that you're here. And I think Jesus is glad that you're here. Because even those who were standing the closest to him looked at him, some of them worshiped, but some doubted. In fact, in the Gospels, when Jesus is ascending into heaven, just picture it, okay? His disciples are gathered around. The man begins to float, okay? He's ascending into the heavens, and it says that the disciples worshiped him, but some doubted, okay? So if you are full of doubt today, let me tell you, you are in really good company because the people who witnessed this firsthand, were, they were not convinced. They were, some of them were wondering, I don't know. How can this be? It is confusing. How can it be that the most certain thing that we can experience in this life, the final verdict, death, can somehow be undone? And the only way that we can understand it 
is that the one who authored life itself can undo even the most damaging of things, death. And I have a few words for those of you who doubt today. Not only are you in good company, I want to challenge you with this. I challenge you with compassion. I know that some of you may hear these things and think they're idle words. Like a spam caller. Anybody got somebody that got a spam caller? You're like, how, how quickly can I make this sound go away? I do not need my car warranty to be renewed, right? I, I want to dismiss this. I do not need you. The 05 Corolla is going to be just fine, you know? <laughs> without the car warranty being renewed. Some of you treat the words of Christ in the same way you hear that spam call come up on your phone and you're like, hey, these are idle words. I want it to get out of the way as quickly as possible. And for those of you who are skeptical and that's the case, I want to ask you a really important question. Have you ever wondered how your doubt serves you? Have you ever wondered how it serves you? How it keeps you free how it keeps you free from faith. Listen, it's really easy to be skeptical that healthy food actually is healthy for me. You know why? Because I love junk food. It's delicious, okay? And it's really easy to be skeptical of Christ if your doubt is serving some other motive. Some people, your doubts serve you, and I would just invite you to see it. The other question I would say is, have you ever been skeptical of your skepticism? Because you should be just as skeptical of your doubts as you are of the truth. And I have hoped and prayed today that this declaration, as meager as it is, of the gospel of Jesus Christ would make you second guess all of your second guesses. Because if it's true, it demands something of us. It demands our attention and our allegiance. If you're doubting today, you're in really good company. But Jesus has a way of turning skeptics into witnesses who say, hey, I'd really like to see the hands and feet of your... Like, I'm not going to believe this until you show me. Some of you, that's the case. You're saying, hey, it would take walking proof. Now, if that's true, what I want to tell you is you're missing out on a blessing today. Because Jesus talked about a blessing for all of us in this room who do believe. He told it to Thomas. Everybody knows about Thomas, right? He's the guy who didn't actually believe it. He was like, I'm going to have to see you face to face. The disciples are telling Thomas, listen, we've seen Jesus. And he's like, look, you're not going to trick me, okay? I'm not going to be tricked. You're going to have to show him to me face to face. And suddenly in this discussion, Jesus showed up. Let me, let me read this story of Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 25, it says this. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But when they said it to him, he said, unless I see his hands in the mark of nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And some of you are like, that's me. Unless he shows up in the flesh, I'm not gonna buy it. Well, here's the blessing that you miss out on. Jesus showed up, Thomas saw him, and he said, Lord, it's you. And Jesus responded this way. It says this in verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So here's what I'm gonna tell you. Those that are skeptical, you're missing out on something Jesus promised would be a blessing. And for those of you who believe today, this is a great promise to us. We have a blessing. 
It belongs to us. Jesus promised it to us in this moment. He said, if you haven't seen him, and I don't know any of you guys who've seen him face to face, (laughs) if you have, I want to hear your story. But if, if you're like me and you believe these words that have been spoken about him, there is a blessing to us. And then there's two parties here. There's those who logically believe. And there's those who believe and have been changed by it. For those of you who believe just because it's what mama taught you, here's what I want to tell you. There is more to just believing than logical assent that the son of man was raised from the grave. There's more to it than that. There's a response of belief. For for those who believe, here's what I want to pray over you and I've asked God to give you again, that he would captivate your wonder, that you would once again be perplexed and amazed and you would say, how can this be? How can it be that we believe his dead body was raised, that his lungs began to breathe again, that his heart began to beat again? How can we wrap our minds? And some of us assent to that logically, but we have not logically followed that with any kind of life change. And if you live in the South, it's just expected. Yeah, we believe Jesus raised from the dead. Yeah, of course. Of course it's true. Listen, in so many ways, if we just listen to the historical narrative and the realities and what it means, but it doesn't change us, we're like those who've heard it, but it's still just idle words. It's just, it's like, it's a little bit like this. A few years ago, there was a solar eclipse that was happening. It was only gonna happen like two hours from me. If you don't know what that is, you need to go back through fifth grade or sometime when they discover that. Basically, a solar eclipse is where in the middle of the day, The moon moves in front of the sun and suddenly it's dark in the middle of the day. And we were two hours from the direct path where we could be in complete darkness. So I said, family, we're gonna load up and go see this amazing thing. We go get in a boat and we're in this boat and we're waiting all day and it's it's only gonna be dark for like three minutes at 1.30 p.m. or something like that. So we're sitting there, we're waiting, we're watching the sun with these special glasses and suddenly it goes dark. And I'm like, this is an astrological phenomenon that we'll never see again. And in the middle of that, someone on the lake begins shooting some cheap fireworks from China, who knows where. And suddenly my kids are like, look at the fireworks. And I'm like, the sun just switched out. Like this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's dark in the middle of the day. (laughs) And listen, some of us approach the resurrection like that. I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying, hey, let me just present something to you. If you get caught up in the sentimentality of all of this holiday and you're like, I can't wait for the meal. It's going to be great. And let's dress in our best and let's get a good picture made. If that's all it is to you, it's like shooting fireworks in the midst of the most amazing reality that you cannot miss. Don't miss it. I'm pleading with you to not miss it because if we can wrap, if we can somehow wrap our imagination around the fact that Jesus has indeed risen from the grave, it will change everything. It leaves us changed. It's too stunning. It's too surprising. It's too perplexing for us to walk away and say, cool, what's for lunch? We can't go back to normal on Monday if we grasp the reality of Easter Sunday. We cannot. It can't be so. And some of us are like that. There's this huge event in history and we're distracted with all the fireworks. Please don't be that way. It's like saying to you that the Grand Canyon is real. You believe it's so, but until you've stood in front of it and made it, let you feel small, then you cannot wrap your mind around the gravity of it. 
This changes everything. It reorders our lives if we truly do believe it. Second response is this, those who believe and are changed. (laughs) Now, if you can go about the rest of your life acting as if this one thing didn't happen, then you were in the first category. But if you can walk forward and say, God, this changes everything. It changes the way I look at death. It changes the way I look at life. It changes. It reorders our affections. It changes everything. And here's why. This resurrection power is necessary for all of you to be changed. In other words, God looks at us hostile, alien, cold towards him, uninterested in him. And if somehow, some way, you not only believe this, but it begins to stir something in you, that means that the dead heart that's in you was brought from stone to flesh. That's how Ezekiel describes it. He's going to take people in the future. He's going to take those who would see this and believe it and be changed by it. He's going to take your unbeaten heart, a cold heart to all the things of God, and he's going to warm you up and change you from death to life. And if that's happened for you, not only believe this truth, that happened because of the resurrection power of Jesus, because you were dead and he made you alive. There were things you were blind to, you could not see, and changed your sight to see it. And it changes the way that you relate to one another, it changes the way that you see sin, because Christ is victory, his victory over sin, death, the grave. Why does it matter? It's because we need this same power in order to be transformed in any way. The only hope you have of being a better person. If you came here in hopes that that somehow coming into church might make you a better person. I mean, that's not the worst thing that could happen by coming here. But let me tell you something, you should not hope in coming here. You should hope in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ because he's the only way that you can actually be changed. There's a resurrection promise that the life that you've been searching for, the life that you've been longing for, Christ has declared in himself, I am the resurrection and the life. He gives life eternal. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy and to tempt you to find your life in every other fleeting thing. And Christ is saying, if you will find your life in me, you will ultimately be satisfied. I'm the thing that we were made for. That's the promise of the resurrection, that he's not only in history, but he's today inviting you to delight in him. He's inviting you to be right with God, to be reconciled to him. He's the author of your life. Not only will he satisfy you in this life, but he promises to satisfy you in the life to come. Listen, everyone is going to be resurrected whether you want to be or not. Some to the judgment and some to eternal life with Christ. And for those who are trusting in his resurrection life now, the the life that you're going to be resurrected to in the future is going to be amazing. Death will not have a sting because you will be longing for the reality of you being present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. That's the promise of death for everyone who believes. There's a great hope that will be united with Christ. For those who've received that blessing that Jesus promised to Thomas, you know the one? Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still believe. For everyone who's received that blessing today, the ultimate fulfillment of that blessing is that one day you will see him face to face. And everything you long to be true, everything that you've hoped to be true in this resurrection life will be face to face reality. You'll see his breathing body. You'll see Christ lifted up. 
And that promise means that one day, not only will he be in front of you, your body will be lifted to new life in him. And so I want to close with this promise from 1 Corinthians 15. This is our future. This is our hope for everyone who believes and is transformed by this. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. This is what our future reality will be. Death is swallowed up in victory. It's gone. Every sting that it held is gone. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And for those who've experienced great loss and great death, this is our certain future. That one day the sting will be removed. And that all that we hope to be true will be in front of our faces. And the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if you believe this and are transformed by it, this is our commandment to walk forward in. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's word to us today. (laughs) I wonder, do you believe it? And does the belief make any difference in your life? Because if it doesn't, maybe you haven't stumbled into the stunning truth that Jesus is awake, he's alive. his, His body was raised from the grave. And he gives you every bit of hope. Listen, we've been born again to a living hope. One that will not die. Let's pray together that we would be steadfast, immovable because of the hope that we have. Jesus, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for the reality that you not only promised that you would die and and be raised from the grave, but you rose. And we gladly come back to this place where we could be stunned and perplexed and wonder, how can it be so? And yet we believe it to be so. And so for those of us who believe and have been changed by this, we come before you worshiping, saying, God, you're worthy. You're so worthy of worship and honor and glory. I pray that those who are still skeptical, I pray that you would stir up their skepticism towards their own doubt. All the second guesses that they have, I pray that they would wonder about those and that you would confront them with the reality of your nearness today. And just as the the disciples that were walking on that road with you described their hearts burning inside of them as you explained the scriptures, I pray that today as we've exalted your word, that your Holy Spirit would do the same thing, that there would be a yearning in us, this longing that maybe this is true, maybe it's true because it makes everything bad come untrue in the future. And so we hope for it, we believe it to be true, And we receive the glad gift of joy that it brings today. That you are indeed alive. You've conquered all things, sin, death, and the grave. And we praise you for this. In Jesus' name.